but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. February, February tennis, your favorite time of year. (laughs) (laughs) It's the 19th, and we're only recording our second episode, which is strange. Mm. February tennis, which leads into Indian Wells, your next favorite part of the year. Mm -hmm. I thought we weren't doing that (laughs) this year. We weren't. You're trying to uh, make me sound negative. It's just a statement. You you can still. But if I had said that. Then it would have been a problem. That is absolutely right. Mm. That's exactly how it works. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Jonathan, to Canada. Thank I you. We were both away, still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> Some more than others. We went to Mexico City. We actually didn't really talk about it on the show at all. Uh, had an amazing time. The biggest city that either of us has ever been to, I realized. Cool. I've huh? never thought about it like that before. I would never have known. <laughs> a very cool city. I came back with a little bit of a stomach issue, which I understand is very common. Thought I had been very careful, but I'm very slowly recovering. We saw pyramids. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of when we were in Rome that first time together, and I was sitting by the Colosseum at night, and you took a picture of me. I posted it. And I said, no biggie, just a couple thousand years of magnificence. And then you being you commented saying, plus however old the Colosseum is. <laughs> I really teed that one up, you know. <laughs> that reminded you? Yes, the talk of the pyramid stuff. I mean, that stuff's been around a while. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, we took a break from tennis, but tennis doesn't take a break from us. We had a couple of... Repeat winners this past week with Iga Sviantek in Doha. Three times in a row now she's won that tournament. And then we got Taylor Fritz winning again in Del Rey. Yannick Sinner back in the winner's circle. Less than two months into the season and we're seeing some players draw each other multiple times. You made a note on the agenda here. Is it me or has it felt like we're seeing all the same matchups in January and February? Azarenka playing Ostapenko, winning all of them. Osaka and Pliskova, and then Osaka and Garcia. Right. I feel like we're seeing these matchups over and over. For Ostapenko, she has only lost three times, and all of those times have been to the same person, which might account for that um, robotic racket shake, attempted but thwarted racket shake at the end of the last match against Azarenka. But we'll talk about that in a little while. Iga Sviantek, as you said, three-peated in Doha. You might remember that Doha is where her 37-match win streak kicked off in 2022. That was her first Doha title, a week after losing to Ostapenko in Dubai that year. This time, Iga beats Rybakina in the final in a tight, tight first set, and then kind of a runaway second set. Rybakina broke serve twice to go up 4-1 in the first set. In the middle of that game, she cut her leg with her racket during her service motion, had to stop for a medical timeout. Iga gets back to 4-all, Rybakina breaks for 5-4, Iga then forces a tiebreak, which she wins 10-8, running away with the second set 6-2. So great, great first set between them. Rybakina is leading the tour this year in match wins. She has 15, one more than Ostapenko, who has 14, and had Rybakina come into this match and beaten Iga, Iga would have a pretty big problem on her hands, and still might, but it was super, super important to stem the tide against Rybakina, who had won their last three all last year. And, you know, Iga was getting this reputation, perhaps unfairly, that she wasn't matching up well against the biggest hitters of her peer group. In this tournament, she takes out Kirstea in the first round. Bless Alexandrovo, 6164, Victoria Azarenka, 646 Love, gets a walkover from Karolina Pliskova in the semifinal, 
Pishkova had nothing left to give. No. This lady... <laughs> and no wonder. I mean, she makes the semifinal in Qatar after winning the title the week before in Romania, playing something like 72 matches in five days. She traveled from Eastern Europe to Qatar without a break, playing days and days in a row, eventually winning nine matches in a row. Played Naomi Osaka again in Doha, beat her again. And again, Naomi was close. It just feels like (sighs) there's just a little bit of rust still to be worked out from the ground. Well, in all aspects of her game, Mm -hmm. to be fair. Everything she's doing on the court is above serviceable. Even good in a lot of spots. But there's... uh, Points during the match, as we all know, that you have to buckle down and win those important points. And Pliskova did all of that in this match, and Naomi was not able to. You could see her get frustrated in spells where Naomi of old, when Naomi is firing, but easy, easy shots for her. Right. That Just kind of silly errors to end points. But I will say this, you watch Naomi Osaka. I, I've seen some talk online that... I think you even mentioned it to me that you saw people saying that the game had passed her by mm-hmm. since she's been gone, that it's a different type of tennis, different level of tennis that's being played now. Great players adapt. Even if that is the case, that the level on the WTA Tour is higher now than when Naomi left it, even if that's the case, Naomi is one of the great talents of her era. Yeah. And still, she does things on a tennis court that other players can only dream of. And when you watch her in this current iteration, one of those things that's unmistakable is her being able to redirect the backhand down the line for a winner. It's unlike anything on the WTA Tour. She's still got a big serve. I know you want her to go down to the lower circuits and play more there. That That's one way she could go about it. Not necessarily it. the lower circuits. I'm not talking about playing like ITF 15Ks, but... Karolina Pliskova goes to Transylvania. It's a 250. It's a very popular tournament among players. But out of nowhere, she's ranked number 78. She wins the tournament against competition that isn't particularly outstanding. You know, very few top 50 players. And look what happens. She gets this momentum just from winning. The type of confidence you get from winning can't be replaced by playing one or two matches at the 1,000 level. And Carolina gets to Doha and gets to the semifinals. Hits 19 aces against Kalinskaya. Sets up this rematch with Naomi Osaka. Naomi, who was in better form than she was back in, I believe, Brisbane, when they played earlier this year, and still gets through Naomi in a tough match. There's something to be said about building confidence in smaller tournaments. Sure. I think Naomi has different considerations. Okay. She has more considerations than a Pliskova would. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she has to think about... Is it shy? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. She has to budget her time differently. Right. But you may be budgeting your time more wisely. Okay. Okay. Is all I'm saying. I don't know what it's like to be a working mother on the WTA Tour, but Naomi said she wants to play full-time, and clearly she wants to win. So maybe let's... You know, we're less than two months in, to be clear. This is not, you know, we're not talking about endgame here. Just saying, why not just build up some confidence, get some matches at the 250 level? That's it. The other thing I will say to that is we've seen other women come back quickly and rise up the rankings. Mm -hmm. Look at what Svitolina did last year. And if I'm Naomi and I'm looking at what Svitolina did, I'm a four-time slam champion i'm thinking why not me too <laughs> like why sure, why can't sure. i do that but that's not a realistic goal svitolina is an outlier and naomi remember took very very little time after giving birth to recover and train and come back to the sport she is still very early in her postpartum journey and i think that's pretty easy to forget when we talk about well she's back so she's got to be judged like everybody else well uh <laughs> She gave herself, what, six, seven months? Like, not much time after the baby was born. I'm just saying, I can see the lure of being able to grab chunks of big points 
in a couple tournaments rather than having to slog through five to six tournaments to get the same number of points that you could have won, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Right. I get it. And if you are Naomi, I see why you back yourself. <laughs> mm. I mean, why wouldn't you? Oh, but I just looked it up. Shy was born in July of 2023. That was six months before Naomi's return to the sport. That is a shockingly short time to recover and come back to tennis. So I think a lot of the folks who are kind of saying the sky is falling here and being very pessimistic about her return, like we all just need to take a minute and just let her figure it out. Right, because she's not embarrassing herself on the court. No. At all. Pliskova is up to number 36. Two tournaments, two good results, and she's cut her ranking in half. Mm-hmm. This is her, well, Transylvania was her first title in four years since Brisbane in 2020. And her 17th career title, one title less than Iga Fiontek, who just won her 18th in Doha. And Naomi, uh, that previous week, had lost to Collins in Abu Dhabi and even got bageled in the second set. But it was a good week in Doha. Right, Despite losing in the quarters to Carolina, she gets to avenge that loss to Garcia in the Australian Open. She gets a good win against Petra Martic, and then gets the patented WTA Serenko walkover in the next <laughs> round. Uh, I got, everybody gets fun every once in a while. But look, Naomi got those points in Doha. Mm-hmm. Right, She has one more tournament like that. Maybe makes two round of 16s in the Sunshine Double Swing, and she's set up, you know? I mean, okay. I, I just don't know how this can be all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. She shows up in Doha, wins two matches, get another, gets another walkover, has a creditable performance against Pliskova in the quarterfinals. Totally good for me. Hmm. Okay. Speaking of Serenko, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show. She's famous on tennis Twitter. and Infamous. now Now beyond. For her history of mid-match retirements and walkovers and withdrawals. Is this correct? 33 mid-match retirements? That's what Ben Rothenberg said he saw on Tennis Abstract. 33. I believe, I mean, just by observation alone, I would believe that. Players tend to play, on average, around 20 tournaments a year. Mm Mm-hmm. So one and a half years worth of tournaments, she's retired mid-match in her career. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> At, not to mention 11 walkovers. And that doesn't even take into account withdrawals before tournaments happen. Why is she not pulling out before draws are being made? Is one question. And sometimes she is. But other times she's waiting for the draws to be made and then pulls out. What is the advantage there? Or is it just, oh, I thought I could play, but I can't? I'm not about to get into the psychiatry of that. (laughs) No. I think a fair question is how is this allowed to continue? And I read through the the rule book about retirements and withdrawals. It's very complicated. You're allowed to retire. You're allowed to withdraw. There is a, a fee for late withdrawals. And there's like definitions about what constitutes a late withdrawal. And the fees vary based on your ranking and the level of the tournament. If you withdraw from a tournament and you're already there, then you have particular obligations that you have to fulfill or else you get penalized further. And those obligations are to meet with a doctor and then do one of a number of activities that are like press related, helping the tournament, working with some kids, whatever. You got to do something if you're at the tournament. One of the reasons why this continues to happen and only is an issue on tennis twitter is because she's a relatively under the radar player Mm -hmm. her highest career ranking is 23 at 34 years old she's currently ranked 34 in the world she's not somebody that people pay much attention to right but she's always around sure because of her high ranking she can get into all these big tournaments she's always there she plays a lot but also doesn't (laughs) You know what I mean? And a lot of times she'll record a big win and then either pull out immediately after or get double bageled. I mean, we've seen some shockingly lopsided scorelines. This year alone, Adelaide walkover. Australia, she was double bageled by Sabalenka. That is not a shocking result, necessarily. That's that's the only one I'm like, okay. 
Abu Dhabi loses Love and One to Samsonova. Doha, walkover. Dubai has withdrawn. Back to Ego for a bit. This result, it reminds me just how quick we are to make judgments on players and their trajectories and their form and what's possible for them in the immediate future. Arena wins Australia. Iga doesn't look particularly great. And we kind of forget who Iga Sviantek is. Iga reminded us who she is this past week. Mm. Yeah, after Australia, a lot of folks were like, oh, Iga in majors, her record's just not that great. You know, for somebody who's gunning for this legend status, she's really got to pick it up. Outside of the French Open. Right. Like, okay, um, how old is she? Isn't she 22? 22 max. (laughs) She has 18 singles titles already. She has four slams. I'm not worried. I mean, if I were a fan, I wouldn't be worried either. The Fans are always going to be worried. Well, sure. But the pace at which she's picking up these titles is pretty shocking. The next one she wins, she'll have five. Not many people have that. She'll have what? Sharapova has has. Many, many weeks. And then beyond that, nobody outside of Venus or Justine in our lifetime as tennis fans has won that many on the WTA Tour. Right. Like she's entering... At this point, you're going into all-time great status. Yeah, she's entering rarefied air, and she's still only this age. Mm -hmm. She's 22, by the way. I just wanted to be totally accurate. The previous week, Rybakina was the title winner in Abu Dhabi, beating Kazakina 6-1-6-4 in that final. There, so we were away when this tournament was going on, but I was getting notifications. Oh, see, this is going to sound like I'm stalking Dasha again. <laughs> getting, <laughs> getting news alerts about things that Dasha said about the scheduling and being frustrated at the quick turnaround. And her arguments were totally fair. She's never going to match up well against Rybakina in a final, although they played that long, intense match in Montreal last year. But Dasha plays Haddad Maya in the semifinals. Super long, like three-hour match. That's what Beatrice does to you. If you draw her, I'm so sorry. You're probably going to have to play a long-ass match. That's Saturday. Sunday, final against Rybakina, loses one and four, and she finds out she's going to have to go from UAE to Qatar in less than a day, and she's going to have to play on Monday because she doesn't have a bye. She's not a top eight seed. The tournament wants to start early and finish on Saturday because Dubai starts on Sunday, not a Monday. So Dasha is pissed, right? She's got to play a final at 5 p.m. on Sunday evening. And then she's got to get herself to another country and play the next day. She says, quote, are you guys trying to make players die or to get injured often? Dasha does get to Doha the following day, plays that first match on Monday and loses against Pavlyuchenkova. She also lost today in three sets. Really? Mm-hmm. In Dubai? To you, Bronzetti? You didn't get a notification? I didn't. <laughs> See? See, there's no no stalking involved. Uh, oh, she was down, down a set. Forced a third and then lost, what What does it say there, 7-5 in the third? Yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, Rybakina has played a whole lot as well. She did have an extra day because she had a bye as a top eight seed in Doha. But she wins Abu Dhabi, you know, beating Danielle Collins in three sets, beating Samsonova in three sets after bageling Samsonova on the first set. Reaches the final in Doha, of course, losing to Iga, cutting up her leg with her racket a little bit. And she will play Vika tomorrow in, where are we now? Dubai. Dubai. One small caveat, Monica Seles won nine. Yeah. But she won most of those before we both started, well, before I started watching tennis. You were some years after that. I was, we were basically toddlers when that happened. <laughs> I mean, not quite, but pretty young. <laughs> you want to talk more about Ostapenko here? Yeah, I so I mentioned that Ostapenko is the second most winningest player of the year. She's won 14 matches to Elena's 15. Stated differently and more simply, <laughs> Ostapenko has won the second most matches this year. Yeah, there okay. we go. Because mm-hmm. this is something you've often accused me of, especially in my yes, writing. For like overcomplicating yes. something quite simple. 
Got it. We talked on our last episode. Maybe, maybe we didn't. But I meant to. What was it? What? That Ostapenko had reached the final either in singles we or did. double at every tournament she had played so far this year. Because I feel like I, I said it in a very complicated way on right. the last episode. <laughs> and so that has that has not continued. But Ostapenko has only lost to Vika Azarenka this year. That's it. They've had the uh, the good luck for Vika to draw Ostapenko three times already and beat her. And they're getting more lopsided. Ostapenko lost this last one 6-love, six 6-3, six and followed it with, uh, rather than a handshake, an awkward thrust of her racket forward. Well, she had gotten to the net by the chair. Vika was slow to get to the net. She offered her her racket to tap it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it became clear that Vika was not about that life, she moved on. Vika looked at the racket and was like, absolutely not. Get that shit out of here. There was, of course, rampant speculation about what this means. Was it just that Ostapenko was a sore loser? Uh, Was she ill, perhaps? Did it have something to do with the Latvian government banning their national teams from playing any Belarusian or Russian teams? That only applies to team sports, but was Ostapenko moved by that government ban to make some sort of statement or just play it a little bit safe with the handshake? No, James. What? You saw it, right? Yeah. I know, I understand it's worth mentioning, but it didn't look dissimilar to many other drive-bys issued by Ostapenko in the past. (laughs) Right, but in their previous two matches this year, they had shook hands. You know, Mm. there wasn't like a... Uh, any political stance taken by either player. Aliona is half Ukrainian, I believe. So people were saying, oh, maybe she's, you know, sensitive to the cause or whatever. I don't know. She has played coy about the reason behind the non-handshake. People who are inclined to believe the worst about Ostapenko will continue to do so. Mm -hmm. We haven't listened to it yet, but she's on the latest WTA Insider podcast. So check that out. I mean, I I can just see the frustration of having had it with being in one of the best stretches of form Mm -hmm. of your life and having to run into this woman that you cannot beat. And you lose even worse than the other two Mm -hmm. times this time. But, like, why do I keep drawing this person in every tournament? Everything we know about Ostapenko makes sense in this moment. Like, she's pissed. (laughs) She's had it. Anshabur is not having a great year so far. She's pulled out of Dubai with a knee injury. And it's been clear she's struggling with this knee. Like, whatever they're trying to do as far as rehabbing while playing is not working. It's a second year running that she's had to miss some, if not all, of the Middle East swing. Last year, she didn't play any of it. This year, she was able to play Abu Dhabi losing... To Haddad Maya in the quarterfinal after having beaten Raducanu in her first match. She plays Qatar and loses to Serenko 6-3-6-2. And then pulls out of Dubai. She is the most important tennis player, period, for that region. Mm-hmm. In history. <laughs> and she is at the peak of her career now, not being able to play in those tournaments two years running. Or at least not... In her best physical shape. Mm. It, at, it sucks. At the end of last year, she donated some of her prize money to Palestine. And she's spoken out against the war in Gaza. And I imagine that her not playing and not being a very vocal force in Middle Eastern tennis right now is a big favor to the WTA. Because the WTA is not equipped to handle that. No, they were barely equipped to deal with the Ukraine invasion yeah let alone this and we've seen how this incredible double standard has already played out in tennis Mm -hmm. on the atp tour yannick sinner beats duminar for the rotterdam title sinner becomes the first atp man since Leighton hewitt in 2001 to follow his first slam title immediately with another tournament win in his next event oh wow and i'm seeing people tweeting that he is the best player in the world right now Well, uh, uh, he kind of is. 
at least right now. There's an argument to be made. Let's circle back after the French Open. <laughs> right. He has only lost two matches since the U.S. Open. He's currently on a 15-match win streak. That includes three singles wins at Davis Cup last year, the Australian Open, and now the Rotterdam title. This is good enough to get him to number three in the world, which is higher than any Italian, male or female. Can you imagine how happy those interns were knowing that there was no chance of somebody replying to their tweets with Andy Murray? (laughs) Male player. (laughs) And I was so tempted. I even wrote the, you know, the highest ever ranked Italian man. And then I looked it up as like, okay, fine. Italian, period. Right. But this is how pervasive this stuff is, right? Because you could still say. You do have to question it. You could still say Yannick Sinner is the highest ranked ATP player from Italy in history. And have it be totally factual. And have it be no issue. Mm -hmm. But there's this. Well, it's like instinct an, an to always skepticism that we have. Right, there's this instinct to always subjugate women while elevating the man. In this case, it happens to be true. Mm-hmm. Alex de Menor is on a really good stretch in his career. Like he was seated number ten at the Australian Open. I remember there being a long period where I never saw him outside of Australia. Like I, he was one of those players who I forgot existed. He would pop up on grass. Right. But it it's hard to ignore him now. He reached the fourth round at the Australian Open, but he is 0-7 and seven against Yannick Sinner. As these careers progress, as Yannick's career progresses, these types of stats will become larger for some people. Mm-hmm. At this tournament, we saw Milos Raonic make a return. He won two matches, saw a lot of people being so happy to see him again. People talking about how he has the best legs on tour, period. Okay. Some people are into that. But again, he was bit by the injury bug, having to retire against Sinner. After pushing him really hard in that first set, losing in a tiebreak, and then having to retire from the tournament. Mm. Maxime Cressy is back. Hasn't he been been gone for a while? No, he's been playing just just in qualifying. Oh, okay. I I I saw him at the US Open. I was confusing him with the other tall. Uh, was it the, Riley? Where did we watch him? We I, th- I feel like we both watched him at Rogers Cup last year, trying to qualify. Oh, you're you're right. Actually, mm-hmm. okay, fine. Felix has been winning some matches here or there. He beat Cressy at Rotterdam and then lost to Rublev in three sets. He reached the semifinals in where's Open Sud de France, Montpellier. Montpellier. Yeah, semifinals there, losing to Bublik. The eventual champion. So we're seeing some signs of life from Felix. This is a swing where he typically does well, these indoor tournaments. Yes. In Montpellier, Bublik beat Chorich in the final. In Dallas, Tommy Paul beats Marcos Giron in the final. It's Giron's second career final, now it's a career high of number 44. At this tournament, he had wins over Tiafo, Manorino, and then he follows up with a semifinal in Delray Beach. Yeah, the the win over Tiafo was bad for Francis. Yes. Like, he's really in a bad stretch right now. I mean, but Francis did make the semis in Delray Beach the next week. Okay, okay. Uh, losing to Tommy Paul. Right. Seeing how this has been a great two weeks for Giron, it's less embarrassing. You know, Giron's up to career high, number 44. But Francis has got to get it together. In Marseille, Umbert beats Dimitrov. Grigor just continues to play well. And in that kit, it's one of my favorite kits I've seen all year. Yes. And then in Argentina, in Cordoba, the Italian Luciano Darderi beats Facundo Bagnis. Uh, for his first career title, I had never heard of Luciano. He was ranked number 136 at the time. So congrats to him. This week, we kind of flew through that. In Buenos Aires, we had another first-time ATB titleist, Facundo Diaz Acosta from Argentina, beating Jari in the final. Jari, who has been playing really well. Yes. You watch the highlights of that match, and especially the winning moment. How sweet was that for Facundo? Did you see it? Mm -hmm. I saw a bit of crossover from my Mexican, from my Spanish... Netflix shows that I watch with this <laughs> okay. Argentinian tournament 
because one of the Netflix stars was at that final no and posting way. about it. On which which show? Well, this one was Franco Messini from Rebelde. Oh, okay. I don't did I ever You watch didn't Rebelde? watch that one, no. Okay. Taylor Fritz wins back to back in Delray Beach, and with that win, he knocks out Stefano Tsitsipas from the top ten. And all week, all week, we were told that this could be the week where when it's over, there will be no one handed backhands in the ATP top ten for the first time in history. <laughs> And I kept seeing that headline and people talking about it, but it didn't really clue in for me what exactly that meant mm. and who that would have affected. Well, in this case, specifically Tsitsipas. And when I really figured it out was when I was following when I was following Grigor's progress in Rotterdam, and it was between him and Fritz. They both could have done it. Yeah. And Grigor ended up losing. Fritz ended up winning a couple more rounds and getting the job done. Now, what that means for Greek tennis is that both Tsitsipas and Sakari leave the top 10 on the same Monday. Yeah. Actually, the week that Greece legalized same-sex marriage. Now, I don't want to say there there's any correlation, you know, between that. What could that correlation event? be? I don't know. God's judgment, you know? I saw people tweeting, well, we need to have a birthright trip. <laughs> To Greece, all gays <laughs> need to be given a birthright trip to Greece when this news came out. <laughs> but the two Greek stars leaving the top 10 in one week is uh, kind of shocking. Tsitsipas, it feels like he's been there forever. It's been, what, it's more than five years at this point. For Sakari, she's been near the top of the sport for a good chunk of time now and it's i think it's been two and a half years since she was last not top 10 ash barty was the number one player when that happened i made a note on the agenda with fritz making delray final he bounces well actually i think it was even making the semi-final with fritz making delray beach final he bounces Sitsipas from top 10 creating scenario where it's the first time there hasn't been a one-handed backhand in the atp top 10 and then i wrote james rejoices <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's no secret that I'm not a fan. You're a hater. You hate it. Right. Uh, but the stroke itself has been dying a slow death for many, many years. At, at one time in tennis where there were a lot of players chipping and charging, serving and volleying, it it made sense, right? With older technology, needing to volley more frequently using the slice effectively, using the one-handed backhand drive with the old technology, those days are gone. Uh, and that was effective on multiple surfaces. Now, for for many years, the only one-handed backhands you really saw at the top of the game were Federer for 15 years. He shared time in the top 10 with Stan and with Dominic Team, Gasquet. Gasquet. Dimitrov. But... This is not a stroke that coaches and parents are teaching their kids anymore. It's just not. You know, okay, maybe you want to stand out. Maybe you want a little more dexterity or reach on that side. It's just not an effective stroke in this game unless your one-handed backhand is superior. And also if your fitness and movement is superior. Mm -hmm. Grigor was asked about this by Lekeep, and he said... Players are hitting harder than they ever have. And so you have less time to create off of the backhand wing if you have a one-handed backhand. Mm -hmm. And so for him, it's a matter of positioning. Right. And we, we look, Federer and Nadal, the large majority of their career playing against each other was Nadal trying to break down the Federer backhand right. by hitting high and then higher with more topspin to the Federer backhand. And look, that was the big weakness of Federer's game. One of the very few weaknesses of his game. He made adjustments. Clearly, Federer mm. did to the back end of his career. But with less talented players, and with players now not being taught that, it's easy to see how this stroke will die out. I think there are a lot of things to mourn as tennis changes, as we see less serve and volley, maybe some less creativity at net. I mean, players aren't coming to net as much, but there's also a lot to love about this era of tennis. 
I think it's inevitable that the game will change. I personally am not mourning the loss of, you know, that one-handed backhand dominance because uh, it comes and goes. Well, in this case, it's not just the dominance, it's the existence. That's what people (laughs) are mourning because the writing's on the wall. Mm. In the pre-open era, way, way back, it was more common to hit with two hands. And then men started hitting with one hand on the backhand. Then we saw, you know, the Jimmy Connors two-handed backhand. At that time, that was like kind of an exception. I'm agnostic. I, it's, to me, it's like not a beautiful stroke. I know a lot of people like it for the aesthetics. It's not really that appealing to me personally. I love stands, but most of them I, I feel look a little bit flailing. Mm, Dominic's is not pretty. No, and neither, to me, neither is Stephanos's. I think there's a lot of flailing going on with that shot. Well, that said, for the immediate survival of the stroke in the top 10, <laughs> Tsitsipas and Dimitrov are still both less than 150 points away from the top 10. And importantly mm-hmm. here, with specific reference to my interests, I want to see Grigor back in the top 10. And I'm very impressed by this run of good form that he's on. Yeah, yeah. On the med side, there's hope for the stroke. On the women's side, uh, forget it. Ash Barty was able to get by with her one-hander because she had a world-class slice. Drugs! You love drugs! What? Well, you better watch your mouth. You better watch those D words. (laughs) Defamation police. Because Jensen Brooksby is not on drugs. Okay? And he got his ban reduced because new information was brought to light by his team. Both he and Simona Halep made ban news. (laughs) Banning news? (laughs) Drugs ban news? You know, this is why we need journalists. Because these press releases are dry. They are dry. They're not telling you anything. For Jensen, you might recall that he was suspended for 18 months for whereabouts violations, which means that he missed three unannounced doping tests. Uh, He was not able to explain the issue for one of those tests. He had appealed it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, CAS. Uh, In his appeal, he submitted some information that I guess changed the ITIA's mind, and they were able to come to an agreement before it was heard by CAS, which is always good, always great news. The two parties came together, and the ITIA said that because of this information, they believed that his degree of fault should be reassessed. So the ban went from 18 months down to 13 months, and it was backdated to the date of his third alleged missed test, which effectively means the ban was reduced by 10 months. So he's going to be back playing on March 3rd. Well, that's if he's healthy. Right. We know he can play. On we March know 3rd. that if Simona Halep's ban is reduced in a similar way, she'll be at that next tournament. Oh, because yes. she's out here practicing. I don't know where she is right now. I didn't investigate, but she posted video of her practicing today and there were palm trees in the background. So I don't know if she's in oh, she's Dubai probably, or if she's in Indian Wells. Probably with the Agassiz graphs. <laughs> in <Right>? Vegas? <laughs> Who knows? Speaking of Simona, as you all probably know, she had her appeal at the CAS uh, on February 7th to 9th. It's done. We We left for Mexico City that day, and that was happening, and we had a discussion of, do we bring any recording equipment? Mm -hmm. Because it's just our luck that (laughs) something's going to pop off, and this is one that's something, one issue that something could happen with. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Who knows? Like, what if the two parties came together before the appeal happened, and they decided, oh... This information you've presented is so compelling on its face that we're just going to forego and we'll come to an out-of-court settlement. That, like they did with Jensen Brooksby, right? That could have happened. Luckily, well, for us at least, <laughs> <laughs> there was no, no bombshell while we were out of the country. The CAS has not announced a date for us to expect any news about the court's ruling. Simona says, quote, I really believe that the truth is going to come out. She subsequently sued the health supplement company for damages 
seeking $10 million from Shinusa Superfoods, which is headquartered in a stone's throw away from us in Scarborough, Ontario. Hello, Scarborough, Ontario, a borough of Toronto. And she's alleging contamination of a nutritional supplement with Roxatistat. Right. Her defense hinged on the suggestion that the supplement was contaminated, it was not labeled with the drug, and it was contaminated in enough concentration that she tested positive on both the urine tests and that it tainted her biological passport. So those are, you know, those are some big charges that she's going to have to overturn. She's presented her case. She has great legal representation, expensive legal representation. Darren is still out here. Uh, Yep. Still out here vouching for her. So originally that independent tribunal said that even if the supplement was contaminated, it couldn't explain that high concentration. Her team is arguing that these companies are so reckless with the way that they produce supplements that one batch could be contaminated in a far greater concentration than the next one. This is what she's trying to show with the lawsuit against Shinusa Superfoods, saying that they basically they were reckless in not labeling what's in the actual material. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. For a lot of folks, this news came at long last with the announcement that Tom Hill and Maria Sakari have split. And this happened shortly after David Witt and Jesse Pagula split. This is one of the most stalwart teams in WTA or ATP tennis, Tom and Maria. They seem to be great friends. They've been through it. They've Mm -hmm. been through a lot together. They've worked together for six years, but perhaps... After this stretch, Maria said, enough is enough. Like, I need I need a new look. I need something. Because she's leaving the top 10. She's just lost her eighth straight match against a top 30 player. Which is simply just not good enough. When you are no. a top 10 player for so long, this is indicative of something needing to be done. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of folks, for a while, that meant you need a new perspective. You need a new coach. Andy Roddick, he has his new podcast. I watched a video of him, I guess a, a clip from the podcast. I guess we maybe should be doing that kind of stuff, clipping our audio. Probably. More. After all or these at years. all. <laughs> Saying that, you know, when you're a top 10 player, when you're, when you're at the top of the game, and part of the reason why he brought Jimmy Connors into his team is that you just need to have somebody on your side who knows what it's like to be in those moments. Mm. Because when you've reached that level of tennis, when you have that much skill... There isn't much that the coach can tell you specifically about playing tennis to help you in those deep, dark moments within a match. Mm -hmm. For him, he felt it was helpful to have Connors there who knew exactly what he was going through in that moment. Now, I'm not saying that that's applicable to Maria and played a factor in the decision to split with Tom or vice versa. But it reinforced for me that these players are always looking for another edge. For something else to give them a leg up on their opponents. Mm. And perhaps this relationship with Tom and Maria just became stale in that regard. That maybe there wasn't anything new that could be brought to the table. Either from him getting through to her or her receiving what he was trying to give to her. Right. You know, these things happen. It It's remarkable that they lasted this long, to be honest. And he also said that breaking up with your coach in February is... Sending off alarm bells. Who said that? Andy Roddick. Okay. That you've already put in an off-season training block with this coach. Like, you've decided at the end of last year, this is the coach I want to carry into my new season. So to split with a coach in the second month of a season is alarming. Clearly, like, something is not working. Same with David Witt and Jesse Begula. Same with Holger Huna and his whole team. The entire team. The, so speaking of, you reminded me because uh, hooking up with a coach who has been there before. Hooking up? Yep. Not like that. Getting a coach who's been there before and has experienced these things, similar to how Novak hired Boris Becker. Boris Becker wasn't going to teach him how to play tennis. He was going to teach him or at least share his experience of what it was like at the highest levels and the biggest stages. So speaking of Boris Becker... Boris announced that he 
could no longer commit to being Runa's coach. Could have told you that when it happened. Uh, he can't travel everywhere. He, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, <laughs> let's be serious here. Boris left prison last Christmas. Christmas 2022. Was released from the UK, deported, and let go early. Because they don't want foreign nationals clogging up their prison system. That was the only reason he was released. Shortly after, he says, yeah, I want to coach. I want to coach Halgaruna, but I can't travel everywhere because I'm a convicted felon. So what was the plan? It seems that Momager Anakaruna is um, stepping back a little bit. Apparently, amidst all these changes, Holger is signed with IMG and Annika will step down as the press manager. Yes. Uh, Severin Luti is also out. I had actually forgotten that he had started working with Holger, but uh, Annika is such a fascinating momager figure. There's truly nobody like her in tennis right now. Her stepping back and handing the reins to IMG, she's saying like she would like them to handle this. Holger has signed a huge contract. It's their job now. I will happily step back. But her stepping back changes our access to him forever. Him being unrestrained is a thing of the past. Is that something that you enjoyed? It surely was interesting. I I mean, (laughs) you all know by now that we did not watch Breakpoint Season 2. But one of the things that we learned from Twitter was apparently Annika was there with Holger casually smoking a cigarette, like, in his face. (laughs) Right. Like, who is even smoking anymore in the sports world? You just don't see that. Uh, apparently, David Ferrer was a chain smoker throughout most of his career. Really? Yeah. And he's someone who's known for his fitness. Debunking all those myths. Yes, yes. I'm, they were all myths, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of changes. You know, who else experienced some changes this past week? Who? Oh. You win the Australian Open, you get yourself new teeth. Those are the rules. Oh, yeah. She pulled out of, what, Dubai? Doha? It's Doha first. Abu Dhabi, then Doha, then now we're in Dubai. (laughs) No, but she pulled out of one of them and then appeared with a new set of teeth. Clearly, like, she was doing something that week. Very well done. They're they're very good. Because you have... Great opinions about veneers. I follow a lot of... We talk of, about this all the time. I follow a lot of veneer accounts on TikTok. I, I don't know why. I'm just <sighs> interested. God. And I feel very, very strongly that you should never poke fun or criticize anyone's teeth. Because teeth are very, very expensive to maintain. And that's that's like a no-go zone for me. But if somebody comes into money and they want to get veneers, like, good for them. But she went to a doctor who truly knew what they were doing because the color, first of all, they look like teeth. A lot of times you see veneers and they're so opaque that they're like reflective. It doesn't look natural. You always point out bad veneer work. (laughs) Because it's so, it's just, it's such a waste of money. (laughs) And it changes the way that people talk. But hers looks so natural. There is a translucence to the the tooth that's supposed to be there. And the sh- exactly. And it hasn't changed her smile. Like, she still has a gummy smile. She has a nice smile. But it hasn't changed, you know, some people get these veneers and they're like mega teeth, right? It seems like you need to have your own TikTok channel. No, but I'm not about, an expert. I'm just... But just giving your opinion. Just an observer. Do you not know how social media works? People become <laughs> famous from eating food on camera and giving their opinions. <laughs> like... <laughs> I know, I know. We We already have one job, okay? A few housekeeping notes before we finish the episode. Postcards, they're on their way. Yep, that's our assignment this week. We're working on them. Thank you for your addresses and feel free to continue sending your addresses if you haven't. We have not been the best, admittedly, at replying to emails lately. Yes. We have a bunch in our inbox that we we will be getting to. We tend to reply to DMs quicker than emails. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. If you have emailed, we see you. We've read it. We thank you for your email. It's just going to take a second to reply. And sometimes, to be honest, we don't always reply to every email. Right. I mean, it's not like we're getting a lot, but I'm just saying it's... (laughs) (laughs) It's received. Yeah. 
Travel plans. I'm all booked for Miami. I am trying to get you to come. I've told you, mm -hmm. remember, sadly, it's coming up to the one-year anniversary of not having Vince with us anymore. Yeah. Previously, yeah. travel considerations would be, well, who's going to watch Vince? You work remotely. You could just hop on that plane and work from the hotel and make appearances. <laughs> yep. I'm still, th I'm still thinking about it. I might pop down and do a little weekend at the Miami tournament, perhaps. And then I'll also be in... We'll both be in Charleston. We sure will. It'll be... I'm so excited, actually. Oh, you are? Yeah, it's my first trip to Charleston, as you may know. I've never... I've actually never been to South Carolina either. I've never been to the the low country. That's what they call it, right? I've never been to that coast. So I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm exci really excited to see um, Althea Gibson court. I was about to say that I'm really excited to see you see the <laughs> oh, Althea Gibson okay. court. And green clay in the United States. Fun fact, the first time I was at that tournament, our listener, it was our pal, CC Smooth, mm -hmm. who hooked us up with being able to play on one of the outer courts. Oh. And some tennis Twitter people got together and we played a, a, a little doubles match, a little doubles hit, and I immediately fell over. First time <laughs> playing on clay. <laughs> You need to be able to move your feet mm. to be able to play on clay. That's for sure. This is the end of episode 333. Yeah, I'm surprised we had this much material, to be honest. You always surprise yourself. Uh, thank you for listening. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James at ElliotJMR. Two L's, two T's. Find everything BodyServe related at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. We've gotten a few reviews lately. Thank you for those. If you'd mm -hmm. like to shoot us a review as well, please do so. Much appreciated. Five stars only. It's kind of like when you have a customer service experience on the phone, you should always give five stars or like 10 out of 10 because it's typically not that person's fault and they get in trouble for low low ratings. Yeah, but in this case, it would be our fault <laughs> if, if somebody's not enjoying the show. Sure, but, you know, just follow that same logic. Five, five stars. <laughs> Listen, you know how I feel. It's one of my biggest pet peeves about ratings online. Yeah. And it's never more apparent than when you're looking for hotels. Oh, when people, people are talking like, about amazing, 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 four stars. I had the most amazing time... No notes, 10 out of 10, but 4 out of 5. <laughs> or like, what do you say? You're saving the five, the fifth star for like a seven diamond resort in Dubai or something? And as somebody who does not give a damn about breakfast, I don't eat breakfast. I don't even eat eggs anymore. So <laughs> like, what is the point? I don't care what's in your continental breakfast. It, right. It's not going to hurt your People review. are like, oh my God, amazing amazing experience but the continental breakfast it just could have been better the the the, the selections like, babe, denny's is down the street <laughs> anyway thank you for listening till next time thank you thank you very much <laughs>